Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where every summer we're hearing another story about a big fire and a town burning down. It's still extremely difficult to hold government agencies accountable for abuses that take place in the name of national security. This is KCBS In-Depth. The January 6th House Committee completed its eighth and final scheduled hearing this past Thursday evening, adding fresh revelations about the attack on the nation's capital that followed the 2020 election. But with more evidence coming in and more witnesses agreeing to testify, committee members say their investigation is far from over. Doors have opened, new subpoenas have been issued, and the dam has begun to break. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we'll reflect on what those committee hearings have turned up and also discuss what the fallout could be. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. First up, though, we're going to hear from someone who's been helping to lead these proceedings all along. That would be Congressperson Zoe Lofgren, who represents much of the South Bay and is a member of the January 6th committee. I spoke with her following Thursday's hearing. Congressperson Zoe Lofgren, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So these series of hearings uh, ended this past Thursday with a session that focused largely on uh, the roughly three hours of time between Donald Trump's Stop the Steal speech and uh, when he finally called his supporters to go home. Uh, that hearing adds on to seven others spread out over the past several weeks during which you and your colleagues presented the findings of your investigation, an investigation that we should say drew on the testimony of more than uh, a thousand witnesses. So uh, and all of this, of course, zeroing in on exactly how the events of January 6th unfolded. Uh, take it all together. And it is an awful lot of material for you know us average Americans to sift through. What are you hoping after all that will actually stick? Well, you know, it is a lot of information. And actually, there there is a lot of evidence that we were unable to uh, roll out just because of the time constraints of a hearing. I mean, you can't have a, you know, a 10 hour hearing. Uh, we may be key elements um, you know, outside of the hearing process just so people can see some of the 
material that helped us reach conclusions. For example, um, it's very clear that the in intent always was uh, to uh, walk to the Capitol from the rally. And we have a variety of pieces of information about that. Um, one of the pieces of information that got left on the cutting room table was um, Rudy Giuliani uh, telling Cassie Hutchinson as he was being walked out of the White House on January 2nd, uh, I think so, these aren't, I think close to the exact words, it's, it's gonna be great, January 6th is gonna be great. We're gonna walk, to, we're gonna go to the Capitol. And of course we had uh, some documents in prior hearings about how there wasn't a permit uh, to go march and they switched a permit on the grounds of the Capitol for after the inauguration to the 6th, when after the president called the mob to Washington, be there, it'll be wild. Um, the, the president directed this um, on the day itself. Uh, it, it's very clear from multiple uh, sources of uh, both testimony and documents that um, he knew the mob was armed and he directed them to the Capitol anyhow. So obviously this is a very large project that you and your colleagues on the committee have undertaken. Uh, so many people involved in this, so many different questions to find answers to. And, and there are a lot of outcomes that you might be pushing towards. I'm kind of curious to you, what are what 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 sorts of outcomes are you hoping for most? I mean, obviously, there's the outcome of informing the American public. And based on the viewing numbers, it seems like definitely a lot of work has been done there. Then there's also what a lot of people are talking about. And I know you've been asked about this many times is the question of how this might inform the Justice Department and possible criminal charges. Uh, and also we've seen some movement in the area of further legislation, further legislation that might protect against similar events. What in your mind are the most important sorts of outcomes that you would hope to see? Well, uh, we have an assignment. You know, there was a resolution that created the committee and the assignment was to find out everything there was to be found about the events on January 6th and the days leading up to it. So that's uh, a job we, we are trying to accomplish. And then also to recommend legislative changes. Um, as the truth rolls out, as we find things, we, we're gonna make it known to the American people and uh, the attorney general has indicated that they're also watching. So if this is news to them, uh, hopefully that will be useful to them as they do their job. Um, we're looking at uh, possible legislative changes as um, Dr. John Eastman himself said, the scheme that he was recommending to President Trump that the president was following. So Trump's lawyer, yeah. Right, was violating, it violated the Electoral Count Act. Um, so I guess, you know, the fact that it violated the law uh, isn't, doesn't call out for a change in the law, except we're looking at to make it less easy for wrongdoers to violate the law. And Liz Cheney and I have been working on that. And I think we're just about done with a bipartisan proposal to tighten it up and uh, make it a lot harder for uh, people who want to violate the, the law to do that. Um, we're taking a look at certain other things. We know that uh, there was a, a real failure uh, 
in terms of uh, intelligence. Um, and the question is, is that law or is that uh, something else? Um, you know, the, the Secret Service knew at least on the morning of the 6th that an armed mob was heading to the Capitol, uh, but they they didn't, it looks like they didn't uh, alert the Capitol Police to that. Um, and the question is, why did that happen? Uh, there were other failures um, in terms of deploying uh, the National Guard in the case of a large emergency such as this. Um, I think we need to take a look at the governance of the Capitol Police. Right now, it, the governing board is a sergeant at arms of the House, the Senate, and weirdly enough, the architect of the Capitol. There's no real accountability to, uh, to the members of Congress, to the House or the Senate. It's very indirect. And I'm not sure that those uh, agencies that the d department even yet uh, is as managed, managed as well as it should be. Certainly the officers behave, you know, just, performed heroically. I've met so many of them who held off the mob, as you could see from Thursday night's events, we came within minutes of something uh, much more dire. And those minutes were given to us with the, uh, the blood and the injury of the Capitol police officers who held the mob at bay for a while. Yeah. Speaking once again to Congressperson Zoe Lofgren, a member of the January 6th House Committee, uh, speaking with her just days after the final scheduled committee meeting. Uh, of course, though, uh, you and your colleagues have left the door open to holding more meetings. Uh, it seems like investigations are ongoing. What can you tell us about where your investigation may go next and what future meetings, committee meetings uh, may bring to light? Well, we meet all the time, um, you know. I suppose I'm at hearings. Yeah, or uh, but in terms of hearings, uh, we did indicate there will be further public uh, reports come September. We have a you know, a lot of witnesses we're still interviewing. And it's interesting when you have a hearing, then all of a sudden people who have not come forward all of a sudden do. So that is a phenomena that we're experiencing. And I will say also, we have a very large number of documents that have just recently come into our possession and more coming in that uh, may have a very important relevance to this. And we have to go through that and make sure we've got um, the full story. So we have to do an interim report by the fall. Uh, we'll also be working putting that together, at least the draft over the summer. Uh, but uh, the terms of the resolution that uh, established the committee, when a final report is filed, the committee is dissolved. And I think there's some feeling among us all that uh, to dissolve the committee in September would be a mistake especially since people are still coming forward with information. So uh, if we have an interim report, those witnesses would still be free to come in after, after September. Now, when it comes to the question of possible indictments, possible act actions from the Department of Justice, 
Um, I know that you've said in past interviews that the committee doesn't have a formal role in that process. Has there been any talk of sending over recommendations to the Department of Justice on that front? We haven't had a full discussion on that yet. Uh, The point is that when it comes to a referral for criminal contempt, there's an actual statute that, you know, lays out how the Congress does that. Um, That statutory authority doesn't exist for, you know, other crimes. Now, that hasn't stopped the Congress over the years from sending things publicly or privately to the Department of Justice saying, you know, we're referring this for criminal prosecution. I, I've been told that those letters are used as wallpaper in some of the, <laughs> some of the offices over at the DOJ. So, you know, whether or not that has an impact, who knows? Uh, but we will have a discussion. And, and the fact that there, you know, it may or may not be um, paid attention to, you know, shouldn't be the only factor in whether we decide to uh, align what we've found Uh, and send over uh, to DOJ a recommendation. And we may very well do that. How much did that question of legal culpability play into your decisions as to what to investigate, what to present to the uh, American public? I mean, was there half an eye towards establishing a legal case for indictment for crimes that were committed on January 6th? No, that that has not been the guiding uh, focus of this. Uh, as I said, our the uh, authorizing resolution, you know, tells us to find out everything we can about uh, the day and the events leading up to the day. When we started, a lot of people said, "Well, this was a demonstration that got out of hand." Clearly, that's not the case. This was planned. The violence was planned. Um, the it was planned for a reason to disrupt the electoral count and to overturn the election. Um, you know, whether that's a crime, there are statutes that, you know, that could violate, but that's what happened. And it's the first time I, I'm aware of since the Civil War that we've had, uh, you know, violence to overturn the government. And uh, that's significant, I think, for the American people to understand and hopefully um, renew their passion for our democratic system. You know, it's it's not a given that we get to have a democratic republic. It's up to us to defend it. All right, we'll close with that then. Congressperson Zoe Lofgren, thanks so much for your time. You bet. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Benconi. Today in the program, we're taking a closer look at the work of the January 6th House Committee. Now that it's wrapped up a series of hearings seeking to answer questions about last year's attack on the Capitol. 
Some of the answers we've gotten have shocked the country, and some could potentially lead to criminal charges. To help us understand what to make of this flood of new revelations we've been getting, and what they could all amount to, we're going to welcome onto the program now Jamil Jaffer. He's the founder and executive director of the National Security Institute and assistant law professor at George Mason University, who served as an associate counsel for the administration of President George W. Bush. Jamil Jaffer, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thanks for having me, Keith. So this committee has focused much of its energy on finding out exactly what role former President Trump played in the events of January 6th, you know, what he knew, uh, what actions he took, what his intentions were. Probably that last one is going to be the most difficult to really nail down. Uh, but really, it's it's been just a flood of information since these hearings kicked off. To you, what are the key moments that you think stand out as the most informative? Yeah. Well, Keith, you know, I think some of the most interesting and most important uh, revelations that we learned from the committee um, is that President Trump knew well ahead of time and that people in the White House knew well ahead of time that there was a significant potential threat of violence uh, and of the events that happened that day actually playing out the way they did. Um, in fact, we learned uh, from a firsthand witness, uh, Cassie Hutchinson, uh, that when President Trump was at the ellipse about to give that speech, uh, that he knew that the, pro- that the folks out in the crowd that were in the ellipse, that were near the ellipse, um, were carrying weapons. He knew this because he saw the crowd in the ellipse and wanted more people inside the ellipse. And he was told uh, by his Secret Service agents that they weren't able to come through the magnetometers, the metal detectors, because they were carrying weapons. And he said, you know what? Take those magnetometers down. I want those people in. They're my people. They're not here to hurt me. They're going to march on the Capitol. So he knew they had weapons. He knew they planned to march on the Capitol. And he knew they weren't there to hurt him. It raises the question, who were they there to hurt with those weapons? And then, of course, he went on stage and called for the march to the Capitol, saying, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to walk with you up there. Let's go to the Capitol. Um, he ultimately didn't go, as we all know. Uh, but then what played out the White House was even more troubling. We have a president for 187 minutes, over three hours, uh, alone in the White House, in the dining room, aware that there's violence taking place, aware the Capitol is being attacked, watching it take place on live television and doing nothing. But not only doing nothing, knowing uh, because his aides are coming in saying, Mr. President, you must intervene. You've got to get involved. You've got to stop the violence and refusing to do anything for nearly three hours. And then only at the 11th hour towards the end, uh, as things are as, as the police are starting to regain control, does he go on t- does he go on television and issue a taped statement that, you know, not only uh, well, it did call at some level for peace, uh, coddled the protesters, called the coddled the people who conduct the insurrection saying, you know, we love you. I understand where you're coming from. I understand why you did what you did. But now go home peacefully. And, um, you know, so what we have here is not just a president run amok, but a president who knew it was going to happen, who wanted it to happen and who was trying to delay the proceedings so he could stay in power. It's deeply troubling. It should be deeply troubling. Not just for every American, but in particular for Republicans uh, like myself, who uh, who watched this man go into power. Republicans in the House and the Senate, who you know, even in the af- in the aftermath of this, criticized the president, attacked the president, like Kevin McCarthy, and in more recent days have have pulled back that criticism. And of course, the events of that day, January sixth, played out on live television. Much of what Trump had to say that day was served out on Twitter, or as you said, on uh, television as well. So. 
a lot of this we knew. The, the, the main bullet points of that day we knew. But what we've really been getting from these committee hearings is much more fine-grained detail of who said what when, who knew what, what when. And also we've been hearing from many administration aides their deep misgivings about how that day was developing. What does that add to our understanding of how to interpret that day and potentially what kinds of legal implications all those actions and decisions might have? Yeah. You know, Keith, it's, it's a really hard question on the legal front uh, because uh, the idea of the Justice Department considering uh, charges, potentially criminal charges against a former sitting president um, are, are, you know, raise the concern that uh, by, by, by people on both sides of the aisle that the Justice Department might be being used for political purposes. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct a proceeding, an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. Um, and we know the president had the intent to do exactly that. We know that because the president himself and his lawyers, Rudy Giuliani, called members of the Senate, asked them to slow it down. You know, we have a tape recording of Rudy Giuliani, who mistakenly left a message for Senator Tuberville on the wrong phone that says exactly that. And this was all happening both during and after uh, the the riot and insurrection that took place at the Capitol. And of course, you have the president calling on the protesters to go up there knowing they're armed. So there are potential charges to be had, whether they're actually brought and whether they're successfully prosecuted, Keith, I think is a very different question. I think it's very unlikely in large part because uh, what the Justice Department needs to be is as apolitical as possible. And when you go after a president in the context of an election contest, admittedly one that turned into an actual insurrection, uh, you have real potential challenges and real real concern uh, that, that the Justice Department and, and the prosecution capability might be viewed as political. Speaking once again to Jamil Jaffer, a law professor at George Mason University. He formerly served as an associate counsel for the administration of President George W. Bush, talking to him about the aftermath of these most recent January 6th House committee hearings, what we've learned, what they could lead to. And you're in the camp of the Justice Department likely won't bring an indictment in this case. I've uh, been hearing both sides of that case over the past couple of days. Uh, Obviously, as you say, we have had this long-standing norm in the U.S. You don't want the the current administration going back and harassing legally the prior administration. That's uh, you know there, there, there's good reasons why the Justice Department might be reluctant um, to take that step. But many Americans, after seeing all of these details of the past several months feel like there's just got to be some consequence for all the things that happened, all the decisions that were made. How can the Justice Department weigh that, that general sense that many Americans have right now that, you know, there needs to be some reckoning for all this? Well, you know, Keith, you're exactly right. I mean, you count me amongst those Americans that feels that way. I mean, I think the events of January 6th were appalling. I think the president's role in it was is deeply troubling and 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 potentially very likely criminal. Um, and the Justice Department probably should bring charges. Whether they will or not, though, is a different question. Um, and I do think that, you know, as the Justice Department thinks about it, you know, there are multiple remedies under our law when you have a president who behaves badly and in this case actually stokes an insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Um, and the primary methodology is not criminal prosecution. The primary methodology is impeachment and removal from office. And of course, we know that the president was brought up on charges of impeachment in this specific context as a result uh, of what happened on January 6th. Of course, 
the impeachment proceedings, which could have taken place in the immediate aftermath before he left office, uh, were not kicked off uh, by uh, by Speaker Pelosi until after he left office. I think that was a mistake. I called it a mistake at the time. I think it remains a mistake. Um, and ultimately, the president was not convicted, um, in part because many members of the Senate said, well, he's not in office anymore. What difference does it make? And of course, it makes all the difference in the world, Keith, because uh, what happened that day on January 6th was largely was almost completely unprecedented. Um, it's nothing I've ever even heard of in our history, um, and it's nothing I can even imagine having worked in the Bush administration's White House, and yet here we are. Um, and the really troubling thing, of course, Keith, and I think this is part of what you saw in the hearings, is you know you have some Republican members like Adam Kinzinger and and Liz Cheney who have been uh, you know have been out there talking about the problems that the president has caused and the real threat uh, that he posed to the republic, and they're clearly concerned that he might run for office again, as are obviously all the Democrats uh, in Congress, and I think that's a very real very real concern now. Had Congress done its job and uh, conducted impeachment proceedings in the immediate aftermath of the January 6th insurrection and taken a vote, it's very possible that he would have been impeached and may have been barred from holding office. And so, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, Keith, uh, but, um, but I think the possibility of the Justice Department bringing charges, uh, as much as I might think they're the right charges to bring, um, I think is pretty, pretty low. Just to speak to another reason why the Justice Department may be reluctant, uh, I mean, a lot of these charges that are under consideration require some understanding of former President Trump's intent. And he is a famously mercurial, hard to pin down figure. Understanding what's going through his head at any given moment is a difficult task. Uh, how far do you think, given the evidence that has been made public, we've come towards answering the question of did he intend to send that crowd of people to the Capitol uh, for an attack versus another plausible reading of that situation, which was simply he was playing off the crowd and events took a life of their own and got carried away. You know, Keith, uh, I've thought a lot about this, uh, but I think that the uh, evidence that we've seen that's now been brought out by the committee of what the president knew, when he knew it, what he did after he knew those facts, like he knew uh, the crowd, the audience uh, out there uh, that wasn't inside the magnetometers at the ellipse was armed. Uh, they couldn't get in because they were armed. He still called on them to march to the Capitol. He then went back to the White House, watched the chaos, watched the violence of the Capitol on television, let it go on for three hours. And then at the end of all of it, even after uh, the Congress had voted and, 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 had, and had endorsed the election of Joe Biden, um, the president, as he was you know, talk about making his next statement, as we saw in the uncut footage, uh, couldn't bring himself and actually said, I don't want to say the election is over. So I think when you take all these things together, look, it's it's not it's not a slam dunk case by any stretch of the imagination, Keith. But I mean, I think I think if you had a jury of, 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 of 12 honest Americans, I mean, I think it's hard to it's hard to believe that Donald Trump didn't know what he was doing, didn't intend exactly what happened to happen because he wanted to show the frustration and the anger. He wanted to slow down the proceedings. He actually wanted to stop the proceedings uh, and was hopeful that, in fact, the vice president would ignore the law and and do his bidding. Of course, Mike Pence uh, was a hero in that moment and, and didn't uh, ignore the law, followed the law, um, as did all those other members of Congress who reconvened in the aftermath of the Capitol being attacked um, and did their work and did the work of the American people. Well, certainly... There are a lot of moving parts to this, a political dimension, a legal dimension. I suppose to close out, the committee has, as we've said, closed out its uh, final scheduled hearing, but they've left the door open to further hearings down the road. It seems like an investigation into 
uh, more fact finding is uh, still afoot. Uh, certainly, a, a lot of a lot more that we could learn. To close this out, what are you hoping the 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 future work of this committee leads to? What what questions are you still hoping to hear answered? Uh, what could still be accomplished? Well, you know, it's a good question. We don't know what else the committee has. It's clear from yesterday's hearing. Uh, that Representative Cheney, who largely chaired the hearing, she's the vice chair of the committee, but the chair, Benny Thompson, uh, was largely out of pocket because he was remote. He, he uh, got COVID. Um, she clearly intimated that they're getting more new testimony, uh, more new information they think is going to be relevant, including, uh, as you know, they've subpoenaed some Secret Service records. Uh, about what was taking place that day. There are some allegations that Cassidy Hutchinson made uh, that she heard third hand about the president uh, getting in a in a pretty aggressive confrontation with his Secret Service agents uh, when they refused to take him to the Capitol. Um, and so I think they're trying to ferret out some of that. Um, and I think a lot of that goes to the atmospherics around the president's behavior that day and, and more generally. Um, and so I think we may see more evidence on that front. Whether we'll see any any major smoking guns or not um, is hard to know, um, but certainly more work to be done from the committee. And I think we will see more hearings uh, coming in September um, as we head towards the uh, the by-elections or the, the congressional elections uh, in November this year. Yeah, well, a lot more to come, but thank you for helping us get our bearings for where we are at right now. We have been speaking to Jamil Jaffer, once again, founder and executive director at the National Security Institute, also assistant law professor at George Mason University, once served as an associate counsel for the administration of President George W. Bush. Jamil Jaffer, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Keith. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In Depth, stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 